Hello, and welcome to the Stories About Autism podcast. My name's James, and each week I get to speak to somebody who shares their own story about autism. I speak to autistic adults, parents of children with autism, and professionals who work with the autism community too. Just in case you're new around here, I'm a dad to two boys, Tommy and Jude, and both of them are autistic. And I've been writing a blog called Stories About Autism for the last three years now. And yeah, I decided to start a podcast where I get to speak to lots of different people who get to tell their own story, just as a chance to show the world just how different autism is for everybody. So this is season two, episode four. Uh, If you haven't listened to any of the other episodes, please go back and check them out because there's been some really interesting stories in there. This week, I get to speak to Caro Greenwood. I've been following Caro on Instagram for about a year now, and it's really good to get a chance to speak to her and get to know her story. So Caro is a mum of four. Unfortunately, they lost their first son in childbirth, um, and now has two sons and a daughter. And her daughter Matilda is autistic, and it's mainly her who we speak about today, and what autism means to their family. Caro is also the wife of Will Greenwood, who some of you may know is an England rugby legend, World Cup winner. So um, it's good to speak to her and get to see how what autism means to her family. We speak about how difficult it was for Matilda to get a diagnosis in the early years, um, what life was like going going along through the system without being able to find that diagnosis and know exactly best how to help her. Um, We speak about schooling and what happens when it's failing. Uh, I think it's fair to say after our chat, you understand that uh, Matilda's been to a few different schools and some of them have worked at times and then as other challenges have come up, they've they've not always been the best place for her. And at the moment now she's uh, being homeschooled. So it's really interesting to to get Caro's take on that and and learn from, from her experiences, I guess. We also talk about the sort of dynamic between the three children, the journey that Caro's been on as a mother. Um, she's very ready to admit sort of how much she's changed from the early days to now and, you know, how she's a completely different person. And so it's a bit of a long one, this, this episode, a bit longer than usual, but some really interesting stories that, um, that Caro tells. And I'm sure many of you find them really, really useful. If you get a chance, I'd love it if you could hit subscribe on the podcast. Um, and also, if you get a chance, if you could leave a review on iTunes, it really helps more people find the podcast and get to get to know these stories and get to learn a little bit more about autism too. Also, feel free to comment, send me a message. I'd love to get some feedback and yeah, share with your friends, let them know about the podcast. Anyway, uh, let's get to it. This is, as I said, season two, episode four. I've got some really good episodes coming up between now and Christmas. So uh yeah, make sure to subscribe and then you'll get them automatically. Anyway, here's our chat, me and Caro. Caro, hello. Hello. So thanks for taking the time to join me today and have a chat. You're welcome. You're absolutely welcome. Obviously, I've um, been following you on, on Instagram for a while and uh, sort of getting to know you and your family. Um, do you want to give everyone a little introduction to you and your family and where you're from and, and what life's like for you? Okay, yeah, sure. So we are a family of five in that we have three kids. There's my ha- my husband, Will, myself, and then we have uh, three children, 
my son is 14 and I have a daughter who is 12 and another little boy who is nine years old. And we live in the sunny outskirts of uh, Buckinghamshire. And uh, we moved out here when my youngest was a day old, believe it or not. We moved when he was 24 hours old. Wow. Uh, and um, we've not looked back, really. We lived in London for 12 years. We were in Southfields, which is basically Wandsworth. And I miss London in many respects, but I, I, I'm in there every week anyway. But I really like the space out here, and it's been a really lovely place to raise our family. So you was brave moving at one day old. Well, we it was not a choice. They come yeah. when they come, don't they? <laughs> it, it was it was not planned. It was not planned. But uh, all of my children come early. Um, we have another little boy as well, Freddie, but he was born very premature and he only survived for an hour. So, I mean, when I say we're a family of five, we are in fact a family of six. But I have three children at home and one. Um, in the stars so and that's sort of how we describe it to so the children really so yes all of my children come early because I know this isn't uh, this kind of a podcast but I have what's called an incompetent cervix which effectively means I can't hold a baby to term so I have to have lots of lovely intervention to, to stop that happening so we have a little boy Fred as well and then um, all of them came early my eldest boy was four weeks early my daughter was nearly six weeks early Rocco actually was the only baby considered born to term. So he was two weeks early, which is nothing for me. Absolutely nothing. It was a joy. And they put that down to his vast head, which is just delightful, isn't it? <laughs> so just, just what you want to hear, by the way, when you're thinking, why isn't this baby coming out of him all early? <laughs> well, he has such a big head, Mrs. Greenwood. Great. Good. Excellent. So, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was an interesting time. That's funny. Um, both Tommy and Jude were uh, six and seven weeks early. Yeah, well, there, similar there is, similar um, reasons. Yeah, so I um, there, I think there is definitely. I say definitely. I'm not a scientist, but I'm a massive believer in science. Uh, we are not a religious family, so um, whilst we maintain respect for all religious choices, I am much more of a scientist, and I like I I, I see what I I believe in what I see. Yeah. And science is a big part of our lives. And science gave me children. You know, medical research is the only reason that I have three children, healthy children at home. Mm. Um, but I do believe there is correlation to autism and prematurity. I do. Well, I, I know factually that there is, depending on how premature the baby is. But it does stand to reason. And whilst, of course, there are many, many children born with uh, a diagnosis of autism, born at full term, I think there is. The two don't come hand in hand either. But I think there is a, 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 a yeah, a correlation with, with yeah. those two. Yeah, with those two. So, yeah. And um, but, you know, that said, so my eldest was um, a few weeks early as well. And he is what's considered neurotypical, although he's a pubescent teenager at the moment. So he's not my, <laughs> that's all fun. There's a lot of hormones going on in this house, James, I tell you. Yeah. Little hormones. But yeah, so that's us really. Obviously the, the reason uh, I wanted to talk to you today is to, to find out your family's sort of autism story. So what's, what's your connection to autism? So my daughter, uh, our daughter, I should say Matilda, who is 12, is autistic. She's considered high-functioning autistic. She has ADD as well, diagnosis of ADD, which is a common comorbidity with autism. And she has um, been given the diagnosis of PDA as well, which is pathological demand avoidance. I absolutely, can I put this out there? I'm very yeah. happy to put this out. Despise 
the name pathological demand avoidance. What they were thinking when they thought up that name is absolutely beyond me. And I just wish they could get the, the pathological demand, uh, part makes them sound like psychopaths. It's just horrible. Extreme demand avoidance would be far more um actually far more realistic uh, way of describing it. But interestingly enough, her PDA, which was diagnosed a long time ago, only by one person, and we've seen hundreds of professionals and specialists in this field of autism and neurology, and only one person thought that she had PDA. In fact, the others are pretty sure she has not and has never presented this way. I absolutely believe she does have it. I think she is down the, well, we thought she was down the top end of the spectrum. The irony that that's come sort of recently and bitten us cleanly in the butt is that it's not really reared its head hugely up until recently when she's gone into seniors and moved schools. And uh, she is now presenting in a very atypical form of a demand avoidance a diagnosed child. So whilst she absolutely, I truly believe, has PDA, like all, uh, like everyone on the spectrum, it is vast. And there are those with PDA that can't even answer the question. You know, if someone was to say hello, they would find that too much of a demand. Yeah. Matilda, I don't have to, I don't really have to change the way I speak to her. I know a lot of people do. We went through a phase of changing the way we spoke to her. And I didn't, I mean, I didn't see a huge amount of difference, but we absolutely can ask direct demands. What do you want for dinner? Anything food-based. She's like a little sniffer dog, God love her. She absolutely <laughs> is obsessed with food. Um, so anything food-based is fine. What, you know, what do you want for dinner? What do you want for lunch? Breakfast is ready. She'll be out like a shot. It's only the demands she doesn't want to do. And at the moment, uh, I mean, I'm probably firing along a bit fast here, but at the moment that's school, which is sort of brings me to the reason why her PDA is absolutely off the scale at the moment. It is purely and simply down to school refusal. But yes, yeah, so she is the reason we're chatting today. And she is the uh, reason that I am quite knowledgeable about autism or specifically Matilda's form of autism. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, definitely we'll, we'll talk about PDA and, and the whole sort of school issues you're, you're having at the moment. If we can, let's go back to sort of the very beginning, uh, sort of when you, I don't know, when you first maybe thought, maybe when you first had some concerns that things were maybe a little bit different for Matilda. Well, I already had another child. So my son was two years, two months old, and she was born. I noticed differences. Matilda was a model baby. All of my children, I know this is so annoying, they all slept through the night for around three, four months. I know, it's vile. That's and I absolutely, that's, that's I, lucky you. I, I would hate me too. And I, everybody hates Gina Ford. I hate her too. She's an awful woman. And I didn't like express milk and have toast when she told me to, but I did sort of follow the old sleeping and feeding routine. Yeah. Um, and it just worked for us. I know it doesn't work for everyone. It just worked for us. I'm like, whatever floats your boat whatever works for you is the right way it worked for my kids Matilda took to the routine like an absolute dream she was a dream baby she made eye contact she ate well the only thing she wouldn't do that was different to my boys I couldn't get her off the breast the boys would take breast and bottle milk for as long as I can remember she would only breastfeed only okay. only 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 and it, so when she was about seven months old I had to god like go cold turkey on her I had to literally take her off the breast altogether she wouldn't even take solids 
Um, and I think that now I look back, I think that's probably down to the sensory, actually, and the, mm. and the closeness. I don't know. It's all like I'm sort of second guessing a bit, really. Um, so we went sort of cold turkey on that. And then she, I mean, she was pretty, she was fine, obviously, she was fine. But um, up until it was only when she was around, she went to nursery when she was two and a half, three years old, maybe. Two and a half, I think it was, because Archie was at he would have been at school then yeah so he she started nursery when he started school it's a joyful two hours off a day or whatever it was two or three hours off and she was fine going in she wasn't massively a little bit clingy to me but nothing huge and it was the we were living in London at the time and she went to a nursery really really lovely nursery I should say in Putney and she they said to us they said hmm we think she's zoning out a bit. She doesn't massively play with the other children. She's not mean. She's not rude. She's not violent. She just is, they'll come and say, do you want to play? And she'll go, no, thank you. No, thank you. Or whatever, a little sweet voice. You know, she also spoke really well. Yeah. She, she was speaking beautifully. Uh, she literally would mimic what I was saying. Now, another thing that I noticed that was slightly different with, with her, and I actually, oh, I sh- I'll go back a bit because I've missed a chunk. She would turn my face to look at her. Now, I'd actually, in my um, time out of uni, I had nannied for two children who I'm still friends with and that one of them now has a child and I feel like I'm 108. But he was deaf. He was deaf. He is deaf. Well, not was deaf. He is deaf. He wasn't born deaf, actually. He, he, got, he lost his hearing after, having the men, uh, after get, uh, uh, contracting meningitis. Oh, but, wow. So I straight away, when she started turning my face towards her, I was like, oh, my goodness, she's deaf. Because I'd worked with this little deaf boy that used to do the same thing. Mm. So I took her in the very start of our long and rocky road of seeing healthcare professionals to see a pediatric ENT guy, ear, nose and throat, for those that aren't familiar with that phrase. And he said she has glue ear, really bad glue ear. And this was 18 months, by the way. And I said, wow, how long do you think she's had that? And he goes, she could have had it for a year. We'll never know. But she absolutely hasn't been hearing you. And so I'm like, well, can you put grommets in? Well, we don't really do that these days. But do you want me to? And I'm like, well, don't ask me that question. You're a bloody doctor. Yeah. <laughs> Am I allowed to say bloody? I don't know. Yeah, I'm of course. <laughs> try, not, try not to swear. And so he said, well, we don't like to intervene. And I'm like, well, if you don't think it's bad enough, then don't do them. But if you think it's bad enough and it will help her, do them. Mm, we're not sure. We're not sure. Went to see another ENT specialist. Uh, and by this day, uh, we, we had a referral. So we went to see one through the NHS and one privately. And they were both pretty flaky, if I'm honest. I'm not, I'm both pretty flaky. I wouldn't recommend either of them. And I look back in, over the last sort of 10 months, because I've kept every single report and every single doctor's appointment we've ever had in no particular order, so that it's sort of all bunged in a big case. I'm not that organised. And I found these reports from these ENT pediatricians, and both of them said at the bottom, mother worried. And it really, I look back and it really pisses me off because I'm like, well, of course I was worried. You just told me my daughter can't hear. Of course course I'm worried. worried. That's why you're there. Stupid, stupid thing to say. And my greatest advice, which I'm probably rambling a bit to anyone listening to this is, you'll see loads and loads and loads of professionals, and I'll repeat myself on this later, but you know your child better than anyone. And you know, trust your instinct. I wish I'd had much more trust in myself but I wasn't I was a very very different human to the human I am now I had very little confidence I was an entirely different human I wouldn't I mean I've always sort of had verbal diarrhea and people have assumed from that that I must be very confident but I really wasn't very confident at all as a as a younger mother uh, you know my mothering journey started when I was 27 I didn't know what the hell I was doing 
Uh, none of us really do. I'm 44 now, I still don't. But um, anyway, suffice to say, she had glue ear. And we thought once that had cleared, and it did clear, it cleared within a year, year and a half. When So she went, by this age of three and a half, we ha- she was given the all clear o- on the glue ear front. Uh, but nothing really changed in that she was zoning out and zoning out and zoning back in and out. And But she was such a good girl and mimicked very well. So she would copy the other girls. She would speak beautifully. She didn't, she had like, she didn't really have terrible twos, but she had, you know, the odd meltdown. But, you know, Archie had that, and, you know, my eldest boy. So we um, we carried on and it was completely fine. She didn't start school until we'd moved out here to South Bucks. And they picked up on... She started doing, she did the one term in their nursery and then she went on to the reception and they noticed, they said, we think there's something different. I'm like, I think there's something different. And I have said, I actually then started to go and see my GP and I'm like, look, they're telling me she's different. Now, my GP out here is the loveliest human on the planet and I adore him. And he's a family friend. And the only problem with having a GP as a family friend that's known your child from birth is that they're like, don't be so silly. She's wonderful. She's marvelous. Yeah. And I'm like, well, she might be marvelous, but I think there's something different about her. I didn't say she wasn't marvelous, you know. And there's a, it, there's a, there's a sort of a, a negative almost to having a family friend as a doctor, because they are wonderful GPs and they are wonderful humans, which is why you're friends with them. But they're like, you know, all these labels. And I get that. I get that. There's no criticism here. But it took me a long time to convince my GP to refer me, actually. Um, so it wasn't that he wasn't listening. He just didn't buy it because uh, he knew her. And she was a really good little girl. When she was four and a half, five, I would say her behavior definitely changed. Uh, changed. She would start having what I would, well, we now know were panic attacks, but massive meltdowns. Like, oh, my God, who woke the beast? Um, just absolutely, you know, like, wheat, baby Jesus. So what, what, what were you given? thinking then when, when those meltdowns well, sort of first appeared? We thought, we thought she was a naughty girl. Yeah. We were both box. Will, my, my husband, Will, and myself were both box parented. My parents separated when I was quite little. And I was raised, hands on raised, by my mother and my grandparents. When I say hands on raised, my father sort of saw us once a month or so. And when I say helped my mother financially, he was told he had to help my mother financially. But when I, for me, and this is no disrespect to anyone's parenting, for me, raising a child is raising a child live you know whether you are co-parenting not living together but you're raising a child is being a hands-on at some yeah. stage yeah. fairly regularly you know and so I was raised hands-on raised by my mother and her wonderful human parents they were amazing I miss them a lot and um I completely lost my train of thought now because I'm all thinking about my grandparents and getting all nostalgic but uh what was I going to say then so we were talking about meltdowns and so meltdowns so uh, yeah so box parenting, meaning in, you know, what, who I call war babies, when you were raised by war babies, I'm 44, my husband's 46, there's the box, you will stand up when someone comes in the room, an adult, you'll say please and thank you all the time, I completely still believe in that, by the way, you know, everything is about manners and do as I say, not yeah. as I do. And so, you know, you've got a bit of a smack around the leg. Um, by the way, I speak to my mother 25 times a day. And that's not an exaggeration. At least three times a day, I speak to my mother. I and I'm obsessed with her and adore her. And she is and she was and remains to this day, the most incredible mother on the planet. She sacrificed everything for my sister and I. But she she was like, I'm lady parent, <laughs> you know, she was strict. And so when we weren't well behaved, we got told off. Yeah. You know, and this and double that for my husband. His parents were both teachers, both went to Cambridge. And my God. And actually, 
they aren't they're wonderful humans but they're not emotionally driven Mm. they are like you know they wouldn't my mother and I go I love you I love you I love you mummy I love you mummy and I you know my mother-in-law sort of looks at it like we're all crazy people (laughs) it's you know they're like grades all have to be a you will behave this is what you're doing there's no choice and yet I mean they're adorable and brilliant there's nothing wrong with that parenting you know I married their son and he's wonderful but it's very, very different. So what we do as parents ourselves, isn't it? It's, it's probably more diluted. But we're, we're guessing what we're doing. But when you first have a child, the only sort of you kind of use your own upbringing as a as a as a basis. As a, yeah, as a, as a right. So when she was badly behaved, it was like, you're a naughty girl. Can't do that because that's naughty, right? It's naughty girl. I mean, our parenting journey has been extraordinary. I, that's when I say I'm, I've evolved from the person I was. I don't even know Caro Greenwood uh, circa 2006. I don't know who she is because she is not me at all. There's little bits of her left, but I couldn't be in a more in a diff- more different place and I couldn't be a more different human to the human I was 12 years ago and so we were like oh my god we're terrible parents we just maybe need to and I I, I have to admit at this stage I I have I gave her a smack on the leg once and I'm more ashamed I think probably on two occasions I did that I think I'm more ashamed of that than anything else I've ever done I didn't hit around the hair there was no loss I was like that's what happened to me I'll give you a little sharp smack on the knee I remember walking away and I I sobbed, I sobbed and sobbed and sobbed. And my mother was like, oh, come on, it's fine. You know, she's a naughty girl, it's fine. You've got all these smacks on the legs and you're fine. And I'm like, no, it's wrong. I'm absolutely against any form of smacking, by the way, of any other human hitting violence. There is, and and do you know what's extraordinary to me from a person who was raised in the 80s and got the odd little slap around the leg and when people go, well, I'm fine. And I am fine, I think, most of the time. It's that whole, don't hit me and then you hit someone. (laughs) <laughs> it's extraordinary <laughs> to me don't you smack me and then yeah. smack someone you know it's like oh that's a brilliant way to raise a child and I'm I, again I sound fairly judgmental now I just I, I I'm I'm all for whatever floats your boat but I absolutely do think that's wrong so having been raised a little bit like that myself and having done that on that occasion to my daughter I can safely say it is my lowest and most shameful moment of parenting uh and we very swiftly realized that she wasn't like our son or the other uh pupils in her her peer group and I just also want to briefly mention at this stage that we moved Matilda to be in a school um nearer where we lived and nearer where our son was then going to school and she had a horrific bullying experience a horrific horrific she was uh, would she be nearly seven six nearly seven and it was abusive actually and to this day I do wish I'd taken it further and we pulled her out of the school as soon as we knew it was happening it's a very small local school it was I can't even tell you how appalling I'm not going to go into the details because I'm sure there's some legality involved and I'm certainly not mentioning any names but that then started to affect her and her relationship with school and that's the only reason I'm mentioning it here because it is relevant to where we are today it still affects her today so that is when she she was quite happy going into school and then she started to cling on to me and go don't leave me here and I didn't know why I know that sounds stupid now doesn't it sounds stupid but I thought oh she's being clingy and, you know, it was I then I look back now and I go, oh, my God. And, that, and actually talking of the feeling of guilt, I think that probably trumps the 
sort of slap on the back of the knee. I actually think it does, the guilt uh, factor there. And it started a downward spiral of how, of her relationship with teachers and with, with school. And we then, we were still at the stage where we re- weren't really sure what we were doing or where we were going with this, but we very quickly realised she couldn't stay in that school. So we moved her out of that school. So we are now on school number, we've gone to school number three. And we there's a school where a lot of the sisters of the boys that go to the school where my son was go. So he went to a boys' school and a lot of the boys from that school have sisters that go to the other school that we then sent my daughter to, if you're still with me. And it's a very, very high-functioning school. We're very, very fortunate in that we are um, able to finance and fund our children's schooling, I should say, at this stage. So they are in the independent system or uh, they are now they weren't always and um that was a disaster (laughs) because you've sent her I sent her to this school which feeds arguably the most academic girl school in the country and I've got this child that I had no real diagnosis for at this stage I should say we just were told that we were told they thought she might have auditory processing disorder which by the way if you are on a journey of autism you'll probably be told at some stage it is one of those generic or should we just give them that one because there is nobody likes no one likes any form of diagnosis or label but it's an easy one to give out I think I think I can safely say that I, I sorry my feeling is it's an easy one to get let's just say auditory processing disorder because we don't know what to do with this child because she mimics so well so she had us all fooled for a very long time um and we at this stage then we started to see people like Ed Sykes speech and language therapists those kind of people uh the very first speech and language therapist I saw actually called me a terrible mother no way she said you are a yeah, you are really, really posh lady that I paid a fortune to see in Chelsea. You are a terrible mother, she said. Do you want? She said, "How could you not know that your children has your child has not understood?" So her, she basically has the most incredible spoken word, Matilda. But at the time, receptive language was about three years behind. And bear in mind, she was only seven at the time of going to see this lady. How can you not have known that your child wasn't understanding what you were saying to her? And I remember sat, sitting there and just sobbing, going, I'm a terrible mother, I'm a terrible mother. And you so had to pay we then this realized, woman to say this to you. Well, and we paid her a fortune. I said to I came back to her and I said, I can't really do this. I'm not very good at this. I don't know what's going on. She can't understand us. And I think she might be autistic, but we're told she's definitely not autistic. Because I had said this. I said, I teach my awards. No, absolutely not. There's no way she's autistic because she can look you in the eye. And then I said, maybe ADHD. And they went, no, because she's sitting down and watching a movie. And I look back now and I hope if anyone does listen to this, that's when I say, listen to your instincts and just go, I've got to work hard not to swear because... There are some professionals I have seen that are the most phenomenal human beings that do what they do because it's a vocation, not just because they're extraordinarily clever and hardworking, but there are some that just should not be allowed to practice. And you'll sift those out and recommend, always go with a recommendation if you are able. I mean, obviously, there's a, it's a, as you will well know, uh, James, it's, it's a waiting game as well. So we then were at the stage where we couldn't keep her at that school either. Um, and then we had our first stroke of luck, definitely our first stroke of luck. And we are great friends with, I'm sure she won't mind me mentioning it, with the Woodwards. So Clive, I should mention at this stage that my husband is Will Greenwood, not that that means anything to the vast majority of the free world, but he used to play <laughs> rugby for a living. And he, he did a little, he, little bit more than used to play rugby, come on. 
Uh, yeah, yeah. So he actually got involved with this whole World Cup thing and then they managed to win it. And at the time, the head coach of that World Cup was Sir Clive Woodward. And uh, Woody and his just incredible wife, uh, Jane, are well, they're like our family, really. They're the extension of our family. They're wonderful. And Jane helped me hugely. And she recommended that I go and speak to um, the head of a very small girl, uh, a very small school of where near where we live, because she lives, they live quite near us. And I did, I gave them all of the information we had. She, bear in mind, Matilda was only diagnosed at this stage with auditory processing disorder. And they took her this little school I went are you sure are you sure by this stage I was like a nervous wreck because they used to call me every day at the, the school before that come and get Matilda come and she's hiding under the desk she went through much she would hide under the desk put cardigans on her head all the time and that's a very that's a big commonality for autistic kids you know cut out the world block yeah. everyone out and then she'd try and run out into the car park and I'd have to peel her off me and I know There'll be people listening to this going, well, why every, you know, why didn't you just take her home with you? I would have taken her home every single day then. And maybe that's what I should have done. I don't know. You know, I, I, I was still very much fine on my feet as I still am now. Uh, anyway, it's school, hard because they, you, you assume that, you know, your kid has to go to school and you, that's going to help bring her through it. And, and help also her... you, you trust these people. Yeah, you of trust course. These you know, oh, hang on, you're the, it's like the old fashioned, good, oh, yes, doctor, yes, to the teacher, you know, all to the people in, those are the people in power that you are meant to trust. I don't trust anyone these days. I'm such a terrible, I'm an optimist in so many ways, but I'm also, I'm also a real pessimist. I don't know what, <laughs> what that says about my character. But anyway, we um, got a massive stroke of luck. So this school didn't just turn Matilda around, they turned us around. And they used to phone me to check I was okay. Really? I mean, wow. Are you okay? Are you okay, Mrs. Greenwood? The only I, the, I used to see the school's phone number, you know, come up on my on my smartphone, and uh, I go, oh shit, you know, I'm gonna have to go and pick her up again. And I go, yes, what's she done? Nothing. We're just checking you're okay. I'm like, what? Wait, what? <laughs> uh, you know, completely through us. It was the most incredible. She went there in year four, and it was wonderful. They were wonderful. And listen, we had ups and downs there. Of course, we did. But she was basically happy and the girls were amazing it's a girl's school they're amazing with her and we went by this day so then she did get her diagnosis of autism we waited um we got that through the local authority we waited two years uh for that diagnosis so, so whilst she was all this on the way- is going on with the schools you're still in the background mm-hmm. trying to get to the diagnosis uh, yeah. and having to wait. and the thing is yeah, so we needed to get her what was called a statement which is yeah. now called an ehp and she got that EHCP. They diagnosed with autism within a heartbeat. And what we've got to remember about all of these labels and people worrying about their child being labelled, it actually, it isn't a label. It's, it's a signpost for everyone else because we didn't know what we were doing. And what that diagnosis gives you is a lovely little signpost. Ah, oh, right. Big relief. Now we kind of know what advice we can give you. This is what she might help. What might help her? This is what might help her. This is what might help you parent. And all of a sudden, people aren't going, you're the worst mother on the planet, although you often feel that way anyway, don't you? Uh, People are like, oh, goodness, right, how can we help you? I mean, not everybody, but a lot of people absolutely are. And I, it was a long wait, but it was worth the wait in the end. And would I have done things very, very differently? Absolutely, of course. I could have saved myself a fortune, probably anything else. 
But, uh, and I appreciate as well, by the way, every, there isn't a day that goes by that I do not feel fortunate and grateful for the position that we are in, that we are able to offer Matilda what can only be deemed as the best possible care because we are financially able to do that. I don't want people listening to this thinking she's clueless. I'm not, I'm not. I do know what it's like. The only thing I would say that, you know, it's not Matilda's. I, we, we, we've, uh, certainly on my platform as well, I have had the odd you're not a special needs man. You don't know what it's like to, to suffer. Mm. I, they're right. I don't know what it's like to be them, but I do know what it's like to see my child in a situation where they are so crippled with anxiety that they vomit. Now, no, no amount of money is yeah. going to make that easier. <laughs> so I, you know, I was going to say it, that it, I, it annoys me when, when people do, I understand why people say things like that. And you get it with different, your child might be nonverbal and one child is high functioning and you get the same sort of arguments. But for anybody, no matter what situation they're in, seeing their child struggling, whether that's struggling to be able to talk, whether that's struggling with anxiety or like you said, struggling because they feel so, you know, they make themselves vomit, they feel so anxious then no matter as you said no matter how much money you've got no matter where your kid is on the spectrum whether you've got you know family supporting you or no family supporting you whatever it is it's really difficult mm, it is it is difficult and also I'm very hands-on at this as, as what I do you know I mean you know we are I hate talking about the class system because I just think it's so boring and I think we have far more in common as humans mm. um than, than what divides us and but I guess you know we're stuck banging on the middle aren't we and uh, so it's not like I live in a in Chatsworth house and have star it, it, but we are in a privileged position and we are able to support Matilda in the very best way that we can because of that and but no matter but this, we're still in a situation where she's refusing schools you know yeah. so it just to give you some idea of no matter how much care we've given her we are still in a situation so Matilda then went to this school um, from year four, and it was wonderful. They were I met lifelong friends there. Uh, the parents of the of the girls there are uh, were I was going to say were, but they are still my friends, and they are wonderful humans. The girls she didn't get one second of bullying, nothing. Everyone was lovely to her. We met people that have enriched our lives that I can't even tell you about. She went. We then got her once she's got her EHCP. We the school found her a one-to-one -one LSA, learning support assistant. That changed our lives massively. Uh, so we've been through three or four of them, not because she was uh, badly behaved or anything like that, just because that often happens with LSAs. They move to different classrooms or they move to different jobs. It, it just works like that. But we did, we did literally find the golden ticket in that we um, landed an LSA when she was in year five, who I love and continue to love she turned she was the greatest human being on the planet and, and remains a massive part of our lives you know to give you some idea she still checks in regularly how Matilda's doing and also comes to see her takes her out the other day we've been having a bit of a challenging time at the moment so she saw that and when I'm around the corner I'm going on a big dog walk now so I'll be there in half an hour I'll pick her up take her off your hands for two hours you know, and that's the kind of human being she is. So to say we found the golden ticket with her is an understatement, really. But we soon realised at the end, we knew by the end of year six, she was doing absolutely fine. So Matilda's maturity is about two, three years behind. Nine, ten, yeah, two and a half years behind. And academically, she's not every, you know, a lot of people that don't know a lot about autism. They're like, oh, is she a genius? Is she like, does yeah. she know 
you know I'm like no <laughs> she's not and everyone's like what's her thing oh can she sing like an angel no is she good at math no is she that creative no no we don't she doesn't really have a thing that sounds awful I mean she's adorable I love her to her bones but she's she can write beautiful poetry when on her terms when she wants to but she's not that so she was quite behind academically as well and they sort of said to us look let's give seniors a a shot but let's be realistic as well so we were always talking to each other you know they were amazing they were I have absolutely no nothing bad to say about this school at all and we soon realized sort of a couple of terms in a term and a half in that she it's not only she just couldn't keep up the the girls were going one way and she was going the other you've got to remember I mean when I'm 44 and when I was 11 I was what would be considered now very immature so nowadays it's all selfies and boys and not all selfies and boys I'm generalizing here girls are just much more mature yeah and they mature quicker you know I probably you know Matilda's still playing with Barbies which is fine I probably wasn't quite that immature but I, I have no problem with her still playing with Barbies and and reading My Little Pony it's that's okay but the other girls were not so what Matilda used to do is hide in the library and sort of say, yes, I'm just reading a book, you know, and it's upside down. We're like, mm-hmm, okay, yeah, of course you are. So we had to address this issue and it, the girls were still lovely to her, but also by this stage she had got OCD, which manifested itself in her not being able to write a sentence. And if, as in, she writes beautifully, but she's very slightly dyspraxic. So she will hold onto the pen like she is clinging onto a cliff edge for her life. And then after about a minute and a half of her writing the most beautiful words you've ever seen, all of her strength goes, obviously, because she's like mm. lifting a dumbbell kind of strength. Yeah. And then she can't write anything. And so she would rip up and screw up her work. But that actually then going back to when she was seven and she was bullied at school, there was a teacher in that school who told her she was stupid and would rip up her work. And she really? started, we didn't know why. She, yeah, yeah. So we went, this is when she was in year one. We didn't understand why she was ripping up her work. And we soon found out that this teacher was doing it for her, going, that's terrible, the work, Matilda, and ripping it up. And it took us about two, three years to stop her ripping up her work. And this started to come back. So we thought it had just come back. We didn't realize it was because she got the OCD from it not being perfect. Yeah. So we weren't really sure what that was about. Then she started having OCD at home, like turning the light on, off, on, off, on before she went in a room kind of thing. Everything had to be folded straight. And it would make her cry as well. She'd be, I'd find her sobbing, folding up her um, clothes, going, what are you doing? She goes, well, they're not perfect. And now I can't walk away. I mean, it's a horrible, horrible thing. It completely controls you. And um, so by the time the lessons were starting, the other girls were on like, I don't know, question seven. And Matilda was still getting her books out, putting them in a perfectly symmetrical, symmetrical way. And she would have to have the pencils in a certain way and the pens in a certain way. And she hadn't started. So she'd look over. The girls were nearly finished doing what they were doing or what they'd asked to be doing. And she'd panic because she couldn't start without all, everything being how it needed to be. Yeah. So it was no, then she would like, I can't do that. I can't do that. I can't do this. And even her brilliant LSA was like, we just can't, it's not really fair. And it wasn't fair on her. Every other single girl was neurotypical. There wasn't anyone with any form of difference. So we were like, okay. So this brings us sort of firing up to where we are at the moment, because we then were encouraged to go to a school, uh, which was in our borough. And it is a special needs school for girls. It's in a completely different system. So we came out of the independent system, which I, I couldn't give a monkeys what system she was in as long as she was happy. I just want to make that perfectly clear. And um, what the difference with this special needs school is that it wasn't an autistic based school. It was a school for all girls with all differences, disabled, not physically, but there were girls there that looked very different as well. And we gave it everything. We gave it our best shot. We were like, 
she was academically probably even a lot more able than them to give you some idea of, of quite how special needs it was. Yeah. But it didn't matter. I didn't. I don't care. She won't get GCSE. I don't. I couldn't give a crap if she gets a GCSE or not, or any form of academic accolade. I that ship has sailed a long time ago. I couldn't give a monkey's. I just want her to be happy. Hmm. This child is crippled with anxiety, and I just want her to be as happy as Matilda can be. And what basically I think happened was it wasn't managed very well by anyone this move because she was so high functioning at her last school so she'd drop off go in no problem bye mommy bye everyone although I should say at this stage someone else you would usually drop her off she doesn't transition well from me she has extreme separation anxiety from me and she um she uh, straight away this didn't fit and she'd done tasted days and but they there were a few errors made by everybody They've forgotten to give her a, you know, that even when she started at her small independent school, they'd given her a picture book of what her school uh, teacher looked like, what the door looked like, where she would go into her desk and everything. Because autistic children need a lot of visual aids and they hadn't done any of that. And I remember going, I was like, can we, you know, she doesn't even know where she's going. She's frightened. Oh, she'll be fine. She'll be fine. Because she'd been so fine for four years. Yeah. I mean, we'd had the odd day. Don't get me wrong. We'd had bumps in the road at the last school. There'd been school refusal and so on and so forth, but uh, not for a long time. We'd sort of, they were days of yore. Those days had gone. We thought, you know, this was PDA. Who knows? I don't know what school refusal is. This is marvellous. Tra-la-la, all blasé, all in the world is peachy. And then literally it was like someone had dropped a bomb. She started to melt down. She would, she, her panic attack by this stage, uh, uh, this year, had almost gone. Uh, we used to get the odd one and it was usually based around not getting our own way. So bear in mind that Matilda's going through puberty as well. And um, so there's hormones thrown into the mix now, which is all fun and games. And um, she started melting down a lot. I mean, like every day we were like, oh, hang on a minute, you know, then she started school refusing and we were like, OK, the odd day, maybe we'll just take it slower. We'll do. And then I tried to leave her one day and she absolutely lost it. I mean, properly lost her shit. She went. I took her in and she's like, <gasps> you know, and they're trying to calm down and she can't speak through. the tears. And she looked terrified. And I'm like, oh, God. OK, well, we'll go and sit down inside. And I got up to leave and she legged it out of the fire exit and ran out into the car park, which is right by a really main road. And I was like, stop, 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 boo, 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 stop. And this then carried on and on and on. And finished with what I can only describe as I'm no I don't even know if I can call it a meltdown it was more like a frenzied attack I tried to take her to school one day I'm sorry I didn't try to take her to school I tried to leave the house one morning knowing that she was going to school with uh being dropped off by my husband that day and she ran out begging me not to leave because and she threw herself in front of my car right. and then she started to I, yeah it was she lost it anyway we went in to see the score and I said I don't know what's happening I can't get her in today and, I, and then it was like I can't get her in another day and couldn't get her another day one week in two weeks in and I was like oh my god I don't know what to do we don't know what to do and then she regressed so much that I think we are now in a situation where oh god we've gone back it a year maybe 18 months her anxiety levels are off the scale and I was trying to break um I don't know whether it's a good or bad time to mention that Matilda's been on a drug called sertraline she was on 50 milligrams. We increased it to 75. It made piss all difference. So I've actually brought her back down to 50 milligrams and she's now taking magnesium. 
And um, when I say cannabis oil, it is perfectly legal. Uh, it goes under the tongue and you get it from this country and get it from Amazon, for heaven's sake. But at the moment, so, so basically... So how long has she, how, she, how long she been trying that for? Uh, ah, we're only one week in. Okay. And it takes about a couple, I think, yeah. to take effect. So um, I, 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 don't, I don't think... I don't think I could comment as to whether or not that's made a difference because mm. she's in a pretty rough soon, yeah. place right now. And I don't, yeah, I think it is. I don't really use my platform to go, oh, woe is me every day. I don't, by the way, I'm not thinking, oh, woe is me. I think, oh, woe is Matilda. More than anything, I just wish I could fix it. Not yeah. fix her. No, of course. Yeah, she's fixed. It's... She's perfectly healthy. You know, no one's, and what, also, what I also want to get across, especially on my platform, no one's dying here. When people, when you go, oh, my daughter, and I say my daughter's autistic. And the reason I say it is not for sympathy and not certainly not for myself or for her, but because we need to use that word more often. We need yeah. to, you know, one in four are diagnosed with autism. So the likelihood is you will meet, work for, work with um, people that are autistic and you really should not be so ignorant about it and the bottom line is it is kind of ignorance and the mistake of people that are living with autism or have autism or sorry or, or, or have autistic people in their world not talking about it because the only way we break down stigma and we break down walls is by communication so when I say I've got three I've got well I also you know I have Freddie as well obviously uh but it depends who I'm talking to whether I when people say how many children you got whether I say three or four it sounds weird but that's a whole different podcast I think um but, but when people ask me about my kids, I will say I have three children, two boys and a girl, and my daughter is autistic. And some people go, oh, I'm sorry about that. And I'm not offended by that. And I'm like, oh, no, no, don't be. She's completely healthy. It's just that I feel that we should mention autism. We should talk about it more uh, because otherwise, how in heaven's name are we ever going to get past this? Oh, is that like Rain Man? No, yeah. it's not like Rain Man. And you know, even though you and I and all of the autistic people that follow us, uh, people that have autism in their lives that follow us, we could talk about our individual cases for the next 308 years and we still wouldn't cover the spectrum. And that's obviously an important thing to mention as well. But currently, I think that's brought us uh, kicking and screaming up to present day. We are currently homeschooling Matilda. Again, this is where we are extraordinarily fortunate to be able to do that because it's not cheap. We cannot do this forever. And that is the truth. We are, it's a very, very short term solution for her, for me, for our situation. And obviously that we are able to do that. Matilda isn't homeschooled by a regular homeschooler. She's, we met an angel in the form of our, our lovely Lucy, as we call her. She's not a teacher. We can't call her a teacher. We call her Lucy just Well, if you're not a teacher, what are you? And she goes, I'm just a Lucy because Matilda <laughs> has trigger words yeah. her trigger words are you can't say anxiety yeah can't say anxiety can't say worry can't say cross you can't say well sometimes you can say autism she doesn't like it though i've caught her googling can you cure it can you cut it out and that's when i just thought oh we need to move schools that was when she was in year seven and uh, i did realize before then by the way <laughs> that we needed to move schools and um and also another school she doesn't like the word school teachers homework mind you i don't like that word either so we are in a situation now where we have our Lucy. Lucy is a qualified regular tutor. She tutors up to A-levels, uh, but she is also an autistic specialist and randomly specialises in PDA, which is so really? rare. Wow. They're like hen's teeth. And do you know what's weirder still? That my eldest 
beautiful boy, my grunty, non-communicative teenager, goes to school and has two friends whose two younger siblings have PDA. And I've never even come across PDA before Matilda was diagnosed with it about three years ago. So I'm like, and it was through one of those mums that said to me, we're no longer using this tutor and she's amazing. She is brilliant with PDA. And we just happened to scoop her up on an off chance conversation. And this is how life works. You eventually get thrown a bone. And recently we've been thinking that all of the bones that we've ever had light from have been thrown and that maybe with this is you know because Matilda's school refusal has manifested itself now whereas it's not just about finding a school Matilda just won't go to a school I think if I found a school that was run by mermaids and unicorns she'd find a problem with it you know it is the fact that it is a school that is the problem and also what we also need to be very careful of as parents and carers of um, humans with on, on the autistic spectrum is how much responsibility we give them. And that's the way I see it with PDA, which is effectively demand avoidance. They have to feel in control all the time. And this is where uh, mental health comes in massively, because things like I don't I'm not comparing it to anorexia, by the way. Uh, I know I have a very close friend who suffered with that horrific disease. Oh would you call it a disease? Mental illness, really, isn't it? Um, anorexia. Uh, anorexic people need to feel in control. And they think by not eating, they are controlling that. Whereas, in fact, it's obviously those that can see it from an observational view can see that it is, in fact, they are anorexia controlling them. Now, Matilda needs to feel that she is permanently controlled. And that is what demand avoidance is. So often, for example, you would change, depending on how far down the spectrum a child is with demand avoidance, you would change the way you speak. So instead of saying, we are leaving the house now, you would say, which side of the car do you want to sit on, the left or the right? So you're not asking them or telling them they're leaving the house. You're asking them a question about where they want to sit. You have automatically assumed, yeah, you've assumed to them that they are leaving the house. So it's the way you word it. Now, we actually don't need to do that with her, but I know that there are children that work better with the, if you, you know, in, in that way, if you change the way you speak. But what we need to do is very, what we need to do, and this is actually parenting, not advice. I never give parenting advice because I'm not particularly brilliant at it myself. But a, a parenting tip, we've come full circle, I think, from the days of um, what I say, Peter and Jane, because they're my parents, who I know were storybook uh, people in days of yore. So I had to live through that <laughs> in the 80s. And since Peter and Jane, we've come full circle. So when my parents were parenting, they were box parenting me. And that's fine. It was fine. They, they're good people. You know, we've, we now know that children need to be seen and heard and they need to be given choices and opinions. But we need to be very careful the way we do that, because if we suddenly start wanting to be best friends with our kids and letting them have a lot of choice and scope. And I don't mean about what they wear, what they eat. You know, I'm not talking about that. I actually think they should be given far more scope of that. I'm talking about, I guess, boundaries in a way. It is a huge responsibility for a little person. And what that responsibility does is weigh heavy. And we have to bear that in mind when we are parenting. And I had lost sight of that a little bit in the last few weeks of Matilda, because I thought by taking everything off and go, yes, you can choose that. Of course, you can choose that, thinking that actually that's what she wanted and that's what she needed but what I have probably done is given her too much responsibility and when we take away our decision making and we give in to them over everything if we allow them to make every single choice for themselves every then it is a it's a, it, it, it certainly for, for an autistic child it, it is a big responsibility and now I have realized having seen her yesterday and we had a bit of an incident that actually I think I've probably handed over too much choice to her and with that has become has 
has come responsibility, which is just too much for a 12-year-old pubescent autistic child to, to, to gauge. So I'm very gently having to take that back. So when she says things like, she constantly will say to me after I've said something, that's my choice, isn't it, mummy? That's my choice. And I'll go, yes, of course, yes, of course, darling, because I think that that's helping her, but I have to change the words I'm using. So what I will do now is if we're reading a book, she hates reading. She reads brilliantly, but she hates it. I'll say, just read two more lines. Well, it's my choice, isn't it, mummy? I'll go, well, okay, well, we'll get to line three and then I'll, I'll tell you if it's your choice or not. Because I'm, and, and, and rather than just say yes straight away, because actually I'm not sure that it is helping her. Mm. And I know that there are going to be parents and carers of children with a similar diagnosis going, oh, I don't know, I say yes and they're fine. It, for Matilda, it is manifesting itself in an inordinate amount of responsibility. And we are now actively looking for a school that will suit her. And we think, we think, we think we may have found one, but we don't really know. And even when I speak to her about it, well, I don't know, I don't know about that. And it is, you know, we're talking about a school that has guinea pigs in it, for God's sake. So we're virtually at the school that is run by mermaids and unicorns here. (laughs) And even even then, she's like, "Uh, no, well, it's my choice, it's my choice. And I'm like, well, it's not your choice to go to school, Matilda. I'm afraid this choice is taken out of your hands. And she sort of looks at me and I don't shout. I don't get cross, but I do some of the time. I don't want people to go be listening to this going, I never shout, this woman's a uh, saint. Oh, dear God alive, no. I am, are you going to be shouty today, mummy? You know, that's the question I get (laughs) often in the morning to give you all some idea of the shouting that goes on in this house. But that's another thing. Matilda hates loud voices. If you keep calm, she is much more likely to respond. I need to tell myself this, but I almost need to re-listen to this when I'm getting really cross. Uh, because I find it sometimes very hard to keep my cool because I'm so emotionally attached to her. Um, Matilda's processing is very, very slow. So if I ask her a question, it can often take two or three minutes for her to get back to me. And that really annoys me because I'm a bit like, come on, come on, come on, come on. So, yeah, that's where we are now. She's being homeschooled in the mornings, five mornings a week. And in the afternoons, I have her. Um, so I do get a break in the mornings now. But she is all I try and leave the house as much as I can. It, well, I go, I'm a bit of a gym bunny, so I love to go for a run or go to the gym or do yoga in the mornings anyway. So I will always leave the house in the morning just because otherwise I'm getting her to leave the house is a challenge now. So what we're missing now, I, we're also pretty sporty in this house and she does none of that now. And that, I think, whatever anyone says about sport, I, I think it can change your mental health. We know factually, yeah, scientifically, yeah, we know scientifically when you sweat, when you run, when you when your heart rate rises, you release endorphins that you would be given in the form of a chemical if you were depressed. So we know that scientifically it is good for your happiness levels, for your mental health. It's just good for everything. There is no negative, actually. And that sport makes a great leveler. You know, talking of this whole sort of class system, it doesn't matter where you come from, what your postcode is or where you are, get yourself on a football field, on a netball court, whatever your choice is, and, you know, just sweat it out on, 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 on a field of sports. And, it, it, you know, and that's where my husband sort of comes in brilliantly as well. He's always trying to sort of, I start, I've started to try and make a run up and down the road. You can, that went down like a lead balloon, but I'll keep <laughs> trying. Because when I take her outside, she is definitely a different child after yeah. we come back in. Something about natural light. There is something about natural light that brings a bit of joy to her in na- a natural endorphin. 
and um, I will, you know, we, listen, like, I, like I've said several times, we are really lucky. We are really lucky. And this is where we are at the moment. But this is not where we'll always be. We're all on a parenting journey and no parenting journey in the world is ever, ever like you think it's going to be. No one. No one. I don't think any. It's like that whole um, saying in the in, never in the history of the world of being told to calm down. Has anyone actually ever calmed down? I don't think anyone listening to this who is a parent of any child can safely say, well, this is exactly how I thought it would be. I'm exactly the parent I thought I would be. And these children are what I always thought I'd have. It's just doesn't happen. It's just, it's just a journey, isn't it? We're all yeah, on this journey. 100. And that, that's a really good point. I've thought that many times, but it's true probably of all my friends as well. You know, it's, it's not, life's never exactly how you, you think it's going to turn out. And you, the same as being a parent, it's never exactly how, how you thought it would be. One thing I was going to ask, I know you, you've you've mentioned already about Matilda. When you use the word autism, she doesn't like it. How does it fit within your family, and what do the boys understand about autism as well? So we've changed hugely the way we deal with it, really, and that's what I mean. When we're all on this journey, we have evolved entirely as parents, and it has definitely positively impacted the boys in terms of our parenting of them. Mm. Uh, poor old, the, the biggest one, poor poor dude, got a lot of, um, right, she'll do this, do it this way, do this. So we were lovely parents who got these, but we were, I think we were quite strict, actually. I mean, we're still pretty firm on things like manners and pleases and thank yous. They're good kids. But um, we are much more relaxed on a lot of stuff. I don't think, I mean, Will's not a massively relaxed human, probably would put myself into that little spot as well but um but we we never we used to shelter them from it a lot because I was like nothing to see here we weren't embarrassed by her don't get me wrong but that's another thing I would say probably which is more um that middle England is more guilty of I judgment is far worse in the independent sector than in I, I just think that, um, I don't know how to word this without sounding, I'm going to upset someone, aren't I? It's like, in certain, I wouldn't say circles, because we're not in Downton Abbey, but in certain circles, if you mention that your child has autism, you get sort of a head bob, oh, oh right, and can that be cured? You're like, sorry, <laughs> dying. You know, so, and so I think because of that judgment, I probably was less reluctant to talk about it, but less reluctant for the boys. I used to think maybe it'd be negative for the boys to be affected by it. So we used to hide them a lot from it, and we probably weren't open enough with them about it. I think that makes sense, especially when they're young. It's changed massively. Well, I don't know, because we've always been open about Freddie with them. It's Freddie's birthday, or you had a brother, his name was Freddie, and he was born. So we're able to talk to them about infant death but we can't talk to them about a diagnosis that will affect them for the rest of their life because whether they like it or not, I don't know if they'll ever listen to this, the older, uh, my son's older selves, I'm afraid she will be a responsibility for them at some stage. Now, she won't, she, she won't need round-the-clock care, she won't, she, but she will need looking out for. Yeah. Um, whether, you know, by then things might have changed, she will hopefully have a partner and so on and so forth, but she will always have to be on their radar. So I think I didn't want them to feel responsible, but actually I have realised subsequently that they probably do need to feel a tiny bit responsible for her. Also, the relationship between Rocco, uh, my baby, and Matilda, the nine-year-old, uh, between her younger brother and her has been 
very, very challenging. Matilda didn't even say my younger son's name for a year. She would just call him the baby because she was so fiercely jealous that he had been given life. Yeah. What's, uh, you know, what's the, the age difference? Yeah. Um, so I there's two years, two months between the eldest and her, and then between the youngest and her, there's just over three and a bit, well, about actually about uh, three years, three months between yeah. her and her younger brother, younger sibling. It's that whole, he, she just hated him from a passion. Now, it's fine now because he's quite tall. All of my children are tall. My husband's six foot five, I'm foot nine. They're never going to be dots. But she, Matilda's not violent, but she was with him. Mm. There's no two ways about it. She was very violent with him. She was angry with him for being born. He didn't, he's, and you know what? He's so kind and sweet. And one thing I would say about the younger one as well, because he's always grown up with her from Dot, he is the most exceptionally understanding little human. And I just wonder, I mean, yes, of course, there's a lot of uh, nature over nurture. Of course, you come out with a little bit of a character. Of course you do. And it's molded by your parents. But there is a lot of what we are, you, James, and me, Caro, that is just us. We were just born that way. And I absolutely give him that. But I do wonder if some of it is because he's grown up with this child that is different and that he has subconsciously, almost by osmosis, is a more patient and more tolerant human being and i think that makes sense so there's lots of way, families i've spoken to with a yeah. younger sibling is like that and and but we don't shelter them from it anymore in that i do you know if she's on having a tantrum when we're out i don't call them tantrums we call it a meltdown or a panic attack we grade it one to five anything above a 2.5 forget it you're not bringing her out of it you just got to hope that it's not in the middle of westfield or whatever and, actually, and people are like why would you take her to westfield that's also awful for an autistic person matilda loves westfield <laughs> matilda loves noise she loves trains she loves people she loves fireworks so you know not all i know some autistic uh, people humans kids don't like loud bangs as long yeah. as she is prepared she doesn't yeah. uh, loud n- noise doesn't bother her she loves meeting new people i take her i'm now having to take her to events with me because you know she's with me all the time before we had um the our tutor in the morning she was with me all the time so if i'm at a instagram event or whatever it may be she's coming along and if they they say no kids i'm like well i can't come then because i'm not going to leave her at home so and she loves it are we going to an event mummy you know she loves it she thinks it's brilliant she loves the tube so it it's not that I also think it's good for her to be taken out because she is able to do it. I don't think it's good for all autistic people because it's not fair to put them in a situation they can't handle. Um, but it's good for her because she enjoys it. And I like to do something that she enjoys. And if we are in a situation like that and she starts to panic attack or meltdown, I probably would say, if Will was with me, you take the boys and I'll, I'll handle this. Because they are very young to be dealing with that kind of thing. But we talk about autism all the time. They've both seen a counsellor and who's talked to them about autism. And we were very late to that party. We were very late to that party. My, I'm not giving advice or tips. I keep saying that, don't I? And then pretending to give some. But <laughs> if you do have siblings that are neurotypical, like my boys, absolutely talk to them about it from dot. This is autism. Um, make it visual. Make it age appropriate. And there are brilliant books out there that can help in, in that. But we are much more open with them now. My eldest boy is probably the most talented at bringing her down from a grade two to three. Oh, really? If it, how, if she, so, how does he do yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he, well, they have a really lovely bond. 
and he can he usually will talk about something completely different with her or make her laugh or he'll go um oh no i just found some you know a giant turd on the floor matilda you know and she still because she's so immature she still thinks well i actually still think farting is funny so you know this <laughs> says a lot about my maturity but things like like he'll pretend to do a or, uh, yeah. or he'll go oh no I think I've got poo in my pants you know just anything that will be like oh look Matilda there's a unicorn she's like where and he's like ah I got you and she's like ah I hate you and now I'm finding that funny and I don't know whether you know and then she's yeah, a bit confused and her totally it's all distracting technique with her but often there's nothing we can do about that you know we just have to let her play it out like I said and we all well we don't all know but if you don't know the way an autistic brain and the ADD brain it's all to do with I did this big neurology sort of conference I've done a few times I've got another one coming up I actually find them so hard to understand I was so academically challenged with science and maths and all of that at school so this for me is like impossible but I learned a lot about neurons and all of uh, neuro neuro, um, neuron transmitters and how it's the transmitters that are the issue often with autistic people and how it's like in the movie Inside Out, which was brilliant for all of us. She will feel an emotion and what will... She's very emotional and very sympathetic. She is chock full of empathy and sympathy. She'll cry when something's sad and help people if they need it. That's one thing that I want. She is exceptionally kind. Often Matilda will delve into her brain, not obviously as a subconscious thing. We all do it. And the wrong emotion will come out. So when she's meant to be... If I'm very angry, she might laugh. And when she was a little girl, that's when I would go, you're very naughty, go to your room. And she'd copy me and go, you're very naughty, go to your room. But of course, she didn't know what the hell she was doing wrong. Um, She would just, the wrong emotion would come out and that still happens now. And so things like that, the boys understand. So when she's frustrated or Rocco's upset and she does like a laugh, although that might just be because she's taking the piss out for little brother. (laughs) Well, well, whether or not she is, the boys know that often... I say, you know, in Inside Out and all the emotions are sitting there and they're at the hub. Well, they've gone and they've picked the, the wrong person and stepped forward and taken control of the control panel. And that emotion is the wrong one, but she doesn't have a choice over that. And that makes it, movies like that make it much easier. Yeah, as I say, that film is a good tool, isn't it? For, as you say, especially visual. So obviously the, the way we, we first sort of got to know each other is, is through your blog. So it's, do you want to tell everyone a little bit about that, about Spiky Mama? Um, yeah, so Spiky Mama, Mama was born for my was a, actually before I became a parent, I was a buyer. I was a buyer for Next Fashion Buyer, women's wear buyer. Uh, I then actually moved to London and worked for a company who sold to Next, believe it or not, um, and different, I was going to say fashion houses, but you'd hardly call BHS a fashion house, would you? <laughs> Probably want to edit that out now it's gone. <laughs> Vile man. Uh, I never met him, by the way, just to make it clear before anyone goes, oh, yeah. didn't make it No, I didn't. Uh, I don't think I was senior enough. Anyway, so that was what I did before. Then, obviously, I went on to have Freddie, who sadly died. Um, and that's when my parenting journey started. And in fact, with Archie, I was in hospital for six weeks while Will was playing over in Australia in 03. And that was that's, again, a whole other podcast. Uh, anyway, three children, four children later, three at home. And I got to the stage, well, it's been going since July 2017. So I remember just sitting down with my mate going, I don't know what to do because it's very challenging. I'm in a position as well where I don't have to work. I don't have to earn so that we can live. And I 
bore on about it because I, if any if any negativity comes out of the DMs I get is because I'm in a situation where I don't have to work. That's people hate it. A lot, not everyone, but lots of people do. Yeah, and it's, it's there's like, a lot of jealousy I don't know, in the world, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah well, yeah. I don't know how. I'm like, so you want me to apologise yeah. for that? I don't really understand it. But then I'm not in a situation of living just above the poverty line, you know. So and and I, you know, oh God, again, it's a different podcast, but we do as a family work with my husband, for example, works with children and uh, adults in sport who are, uh, but yeah. they don't care. People don't care about that. They don't want to know about that. And there, but I had got to a stage where, because she is so consuming of my time, I would say that out of my parenting, I parent her 80% and the boys get 10% each. And it was, my mental health was at an all time low. Um, so yeah, quite selfish, really. Um, someone suggested I, they said, you know, you're constantly pe- getting pe- people getting, were getting in touch with me all the time. I'd get a hey, Karen, would you mind speaking to my friend? Her cousin has got a problem. They think their daughter might be autistic or Karen, could you talk to someone because they've lost a baby and they don't know what to do? Or Karen, could you talk to someone? And so I was really not enjoying helping people. I don't want people to be in a difficult situation, but I was Finding myself able to do that and then someone suggested I remember I was crying like a I don't I'm not a big crier either I cry at movies but life situations don't make me cry I don't know whether that's because I've lost the most important human to me and therefore I've become a little bit of rhino skins about life but maybe there's something to say about that but um I was sobbing going I am really struggling my mental health is at an all-time low I literally some mornings don't want to get out of bed and I've never been this way I'm not that person I'm a leaper out of bed I am a let's go on a run I'm a that's just not who I am and I just started to get lower and lower and lower and I didn't know what to do and someone said look I wasn't even on Instagram they were like why don't you do Instagram I'm like what I'd sort of played toyed with it a little bit on like a private account but nothing I barely even look honestly I didn't even have an app it was like a nothing yeah and so I started this I called it spiky mama because um Matilda was diagnosed with a spiky profile because Ah, with all the diagnosis Yeah. So with all of her diagnosis that she has, she shouldn't really be as functioning as she is, although ironically, she's not functioning brilliantly now. But at the time, they were like, she's very spiky because if she's PDA, she shouldn't really be able to do this. And if she's got this form of autism, she shouldn't really be able to do this. And she's got um, ADD. So but she can do this. I'm like, yeah, she sits in lessons. No problem. And they're like, "Mm, very spiky. And it's really common. And spiky. I know it's spelt S-P-I-K-Y. I, and I added an E because it looked better. So I am, <laughs> I am purely, purely for the aesthetics. I'm much more shallow uh, than um, I was going to say than people think. People, people may think I'm really shallow. And so I, at the moment, my blog is actually offline. And there's a reason for that. We, when we were trying to find Matilda another school, we thought we'd found her one and they refused to see her on the grounds of her EHCP, which I thought was ludicrous because everybody knows that has a child with an EHCP that it looks a lot bloody worse than they are on everyday real life. And it, it's all valid on there. It all, she's diagnosed with everything on it, but she's not going to present with a meltdown every day, for example. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> because she, she could, you know. It's a, guide, it's a guide to get you the right support to help her. Totally. And so I was very upset by this. And so I said, that's just ridiculous. Well, and so I wrote to the headmaster and said, this is entirely, you can't just, it's like, uh, you know, when you're like, I was absolutely, so then they wrote back to me saying, we won't see you. It was so rude, this letter, I can't even tell you. And I felt I hugely let down. We've read your blog on how a PDA um, child presents and we won't see her on the grounds of your blog. No way. 
So I shut it down. That's terrible. I can't believe a school would say that. Yeah. And they're allowed to. They're absolutely within their rights to do that. But then at the same time, if if that's what they think about PDA, then you wouldn't want your daughters to go there anyway, right? We dodged a bullet. We dodged a bullet. But I have then been really reluctant to open it again because I lost my nerve. And now, mm. so what? And here's the irony: I spend a lot of my time talking to people or DMing people back about their autistic problems, all of which are on my blog. But I'm too nervous to open my blog, so I spend three hours of my day going da 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 da, emailing. Yeah, I've got it. I've just got to put it back. I've just got to put it back, and it's made me. I I am I definitely went. I'm going through different crises of confidence, especially with this whole school thing. I'm like, oh, I can't even choose a school for my daughter anymore, and that's all related to that. To, you know, like I said, the whole journey thing. You evolve all the time, but you also question yourself when stuff like this happens. So when they said to me, we won't see her. We've read it, and now we won't definitely won't see her now. We've read your blog or whatever they said. You know, I can't remember verbatim. It's pretty brutal letter I've kept it by the way I almost want to put it up in my downstairs loop and I uh I just you it, it gives I'm not gonna lie they got me they got me good and proper they it was a real kick in the nuts for me I um straight away took it down I straight away took it down it was extraordinary um so yes that needs that I'm working on it all the time and also what I'm doing is putting different articles on there recently I was asked about how my relationship I'm not talking about my relationship with Will per se but how generically it you know relationships I mean you yourself know because your life is very challenging with your brilliant boys but I know how well, I don't know how challenging it is but I can only appreciate how challenging it must be um how it affects your relationship with the person you are co-parenting with yeah um and I would say easily that Will and I have come close to separating on two occasions most definitely and I'm open about it not I love my husband deeply but it doesn't mean that you don't love a person when you separate from them not in certain situations and this is what I'm trying to sort of get across in this sort of article that I've written that is on my blog that is not up and running which (laughs) will be I promise and people ask me about that all the time because they're like my husband Bailey looks me in the face more because all we're doing is talking about this little human we made that and I'm like because sometimes everybody reacts in different ways some people seek what they think is comfort from another human some people just leave some people face it head on however you deal with it is how you deal with it and no one is allowed to judge that not really unless someone's left by themselves with bloody I get a lot of people single parents male and female actually I mean I don't want to give anything anyone a bad name maybe predominantly singly female but there is yeah that's I think that's fair enough to say predominantly it's yeah I mean it's kind of factual but it's not that I think that that makes them bad it just it's just that the the nature of this particular Mm. beast maybe and they're like how do you stay together I'm like with help yeah we are here because we have help and if you are a family struggling and you have a child with autism or with differences or with other challenges children that are neurotypical in relationship when both parents are working or both parents are not working or whatever the case may be it is hard and there was a statistic in 2010 that said autistic parents have an 80 percent more uh more 80% more chance of divorcing that those that don't have an autistic child they have now 
said that that was their uh, quest. The, the 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 report was questionable because I looked mm. it up whilst I was doing this article. But that was you. You definitely have something like a thirteen percent. Uh, more like chance of divorcing before the child is 13. It's really interesting how it changes with the child's age as well, if you look at all of these reports. And, you know, going back to where we were before with how autism manifests itself in our family and her relationships, Matilda is very attached to me. She has a different relationship with both her siblings. Um, I would probably say she's closer to Archie, but she definitely loves Rocco in her own way. And she loves her daddy in her own way. God, she loves her daddy. And he he loves all of his children, but he adores his little girl. But are they as close as Matilda and I? No, but then I'm her primary carer for a start. And when you spend more time with someone, you're bound to be closer to them. And I just, I don't find it easier than him. Maybe I do, but I just, I don't know. We're very... In his own way, when Matilda first started refusing school a few weeks ago, he spoke to Sky, who are his, one of his employers, and they went, just bring her in. Really? So they gave her a Sky Pass. And goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that is what we really need in the world. Yeah. We need people to be more like that. But obviously, you know, you could argue solicitors' officers might say, we can't just bloody have everyone, yeah. can't just bring yeah. their kids in. I would agree with that. So it really depends on the situation. And that's another thing about relationships. When you've got a school refuser and you're both all working, what the hell do you do? What the hell do you do? Mm. What are you meant to do? Because that employer needs you there. And it's not that they're not being understanding, but after two weeks, what are you going to say to the person you're employing? You know, the whole thing is an impossible situation. And I don't know what the answer is there. I just know that we are very, very lucky that we aren't faced with the challenges, those challenges that I know an inordinate amount of people are. Well, I definitely think you should uh, get your blog published again. Um, obviously, you've got your Instagram page at the moment, uh, Spiky Mama, which is S-P-I-K-E-K-E-Y, is that right? S-P-I-K-E-Y, Spiky Mama. In fact, yeah. I went off on a tangent. But what you will find on there is hopefully when all this gets back up and running, I'm going to designate a day to autism a week because I get a lot of DMs. And actually, I need to take ownership a bit more of that and um, set some boundaries because otherwise I literally spend... I could spend more than an hour a day replying to autistic DMs. Um, on there, which I am so happy happy i'm so comfortable doing but i also think there needs to be um i need to set myself boundaries not other people yeah um there is fashiony bits on there just because that's my sanity and i think we all need to find a piece of ourselves in whatever we do and you know it's like when you're handed these beautiful little humans that we've made you don't go that's it that's all your goals right there you've got to stop living now because now you're a parent that's it and 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 part of what i love to do is fashion and is beauty and you know i i do some bits and pieces here and there um for 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 different brands and i really really enjoy that and i went to a really lovely um instagram event last night and it was i wasn't going to go because part of because it was just miles away but actually i was like you know you come away and if you can find a piece of you anywhere whether that's right because i love to write as well um whether that's writing whether that's fashion, whether that's beauty, whatever that may be, it is like someone giving you a new little backbone to deal with the next day. Because even if the day before has been unimaginably crap and you've dealt with meltdown after meltdown after challenge after challenge and you feel broken, if you can 
find a pocket of yourself, just Caro, not Matilda's mum, not anyone else's mum, no parent at all, just Caro, just for a minute, and you can find that pocket of yourself. Then you remember, actually, no, I am, I'm, I, I've got this, I've got this, I can do this, I'm, I'm strong, I've got this. Just before I ask you the final question, I just wanted to say thank you for, for coming on and, and talking to me today. And thank you for, for being so honest in not only today, but I follow your account online and watch your stories. And, and you do give a really honest insight into what life's like, the good and the bad, the, you know, when you've messed up, uh, when you've done things well. And I think that's really refreshing. You know, you, you're not just saying, you know, you're not trying to portray yourself as anything. You're saying, you know, this is the challenge I handled it really well today or this is a challenge I messed up but I know I'm gonna be better for it tomorrow and I think that's that's something that that like you said earlier on that we grow and we change a lot and you've changed a lot clearly over the last few years and and I think that's that's something that's, that's very clear to see in 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 everything you talk about so yeah so just to finish off what's I mean you've given us a lot lots of different things uh, to go away with today but what's what's one thing you'd like to finish with to let the rest of the world know about autism um it's probably repeating what i've said actually autism it, you know autumn is not a label autumn is a signpost for the rest of us that aren't autistic so that we know what the capabilities and limitations possibly are of the human that we are with at any given time and also knowledge is power. You know, do yourself a favour and learn just a little bit about it because that little bit means a lot to that other person. And I think that's probably all I have to say. I could go on and on about that. But, <laughs> you know, let, I'm, on a little, I'm a little bit of an autistic education miss, mission. And also it's one of those things as well where you only get involved in something that directly affects you. But I think this is something that is so commonly diagnosed in the country that we live in uh, well the cu- the country that, that we all live in and and the world we live in we should be learning up about it and we should we should be we should know more about it teachers for a start should know more about it but yeah. we all should because like i said one day you might go to school with them you might work with them you might work for them bill gates is apparently on the autistic spectrum you know it's it's important and knowledge is power so you know, arm yourself with it. Arm yourself with this image. No, you're right. I think that's that's a very good point. That uh, we are going to be or come across someone who is autistic at some point in our lives. So it's our responsibility to go and learn more about it. Yeah, it's it's, it's statistically speaking, it's an impossibility mm. not to. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Brilliant. Well, thank you, Caro. You're welcome. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the podcast. I really hope you enjoyed this week's episode. And I'm going to have a new episode up next week telling another story about autism. Speak to you soon.